Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Herbal Came podcast. For those of you that are new here, my name is Simon Osimo and you can join me for weekly conversations with some really interesting people as I explore their personal stories, transformations and experiences that help educate, inform and inspire. Now on today's episode, I'm joined by Melissa Agnes, who is the founder of the Crisis Ready Institute and author of the book Crisis Ready. This is a two-part conversation as we continue to talk about what it means to be crisis ready and Melissa shares more about her personal journey. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, I highly recommend that you go back to wherever you consume your content. It's a short 20 minute conversation, but I know you'll get so much out of it as Melissa shares her knowledge on what it means to be crisis ready. But before we dive into the content, I want to remind you that you can listen to this podcast wherever you consume your content and a video can be found on our YouTube channel at Simon Osimo. Now, if you get something from this conversation or believe that others will, it'd mean the world to me if you'd like and share with your circle of influence. Okay, so let's dive into this week's conversation with Melissa Agnes, the founder of the Crisis Ready Institute. Welcome to the Who I Became podcast. Welcome back to Her Became Podcast, and this is part two of my conversation with Melissa Agnes, who is the CEO of the Crisis Ready Institute. She is a former TEDx speaker on the secret to crisis management, author of the book Crisis Ready. And if you haven't listened to part one of this conversation, go back. You'll hear all about how Melissa's journey led her into crisis management, and she shares some personal testimony about uh, a situation in her own life which sort of led her on this journey. So Melissa, welcome back for part two. Happy to be back. Thanks for having me, Simon. So, so let's dive straight in on a conversation around um, purpose then. So when we were talking offline, one of the interesting things that I picked up on, on you that you said was that um, you never really asked for why questions. And what I um, found fascinating about that is very, very similar to me, but I often find that people go searching for their why in their life. You know, why am I born black? Why am I English? Why am I born to a single parent? Why, why, why? But generally your purpose leads to answer those why questions. And it just fascinated me that you were quite similar, but you don't tend to ask the, the sort of why. So maybe tell us, how did you discover your purpose? Um, so I do want to I do want to say that the way that you phrase that is really interesting because why is my favorite word. Um, oh, there you go. So, yeah. So Simon Sinek fan. But um, <laughs> yeah, everybody says that to me when I when I say that make that statement. Um, so while I've never asked why me, I think there's a huge difference in why me because to me the answer is well why not me and. Yeah for all of the bad things, as well as for all of the good things. It, it can't be one without the other. So I've never asked why me, um, but I do ask why for everything, far too, far too many things constantly in my brain. You know, I'm constantly processing or trying to seek to process the why, because that's how you get to the house. So, um, so how did I find my purpose? Oh my goodness. Like, do you want my entrepreneurial trajectory? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know we said in part one, you know, you really consider your your purpose is within crisis management. That's really your your happy place. So I'm assuming you feel that, um, you know, part of your presence here is we all have that sort of why do we exist question, and that is way outside the depth of this podcast. But I'm assuming that because you're in that happy place, you feel that it is your purpose to inspire and educate around crisis management. So, you know, where do you think that came from? Yeah. So there's a deeper. There's a. It's not crisis management. It's. I mean, I love crisis management, but I love it 
for so many different reasons. That's not, I don't believe that crisis management is my purpose. I believe that the way that I'm wired and my lived experiences have culminated to amount to who I am today and to bring a unique lens and skill set to the table where my purpose is. And that drives, that's the, that's my ability to fulfill, hopefully the intent is to fulfill my purpose. I don't know that it's actually fulfillable, um, achievable, but make strides to doing it every day. So my purpose is currently, I believe that if every organization were crisis ready to what it means to the crisis ready Institute to be crisis ready, um, which I said in part one is a learnable skill that everybody can learn. I believe that if every organization in this world were that, that it had a crisis ready culture um, to that degree, that we would live in a kinder, safer, more balanced world. And I don't have kids yet. That's the world that I would like to have kids in. That's the world that I would like to have my kids have kids in. Um, that's the that's a world that had every organization been crisis ready prior to COVID that right now would look vastly different. And for me, so in part one, we talked about that, you know, when something really comes in frustrates me, let's call it. And nobody else is kind of, I feel that nobody else is stepping up to, to take on the challenge and to do right by it. Um, that's how I feel about crisis readiness. It's that vision of, I want, I feel that organizations do a disservice to the people they serve, generally speaking, right? That's a, that's a very general statement, um, but as an overlook. And ultimately what that means is impact on society. And I think that they should, we should incentivize those who don't know better to do better, to educate them and to, and to empower them to do better. And that we should hold those that should be doing better accountable and help them do better. Um, that's the, that's my purpose. That's what drives me. Crisis ready and crisis management is just my lens of getting there. And so what traits do you feel uh, make you successful as an entrepreneur? Maybe we can move on to what traits do you see in other entrepreneurs, but what do you see in you, which gives you that creativity and freedom to, to do well? I don't, I don't know that I know the answer to that. I don't, I don't see myself as successful yet. So that's hard, but um, I'm relentless. Um, I don't stop. And I, I don't, I choose, I work really hard. I don't well, yeah, and, good answer. And, but that is an answer because working hard is what successful people do. I mean, sometimes people say to me, you know, how can you stay up till one, two o'clock in the morning, either writing or doing a presentation? I'm like, well, well how can you not? I guess it's, it, like I said, being an entrepreneur is most probably, you know, something that comes from within. Um, and, and it is interesting. I mean, maybe some of the times these things don't necessarily have answers, Melissa, but it's just good to try and get your perspective. And it's not always a good thing. Like I, when I was starting in this field in crisis readiness and crisis management, um, as a young entrepreneur with no, no money, um, I remember, I mean, I can tell you for two people, cause I was living with somebody in a relationship at the time. I can tell you that spaghetti for 10 days, two meals a day for two people costs you $60 coffee in the morning, spaghetti at night, spaghetti at lunch and dinner. Um, I, I remember like my mother-in-law at the time saying, why don't you stop and get a job? Like, this is ridiculous. You have no money. You're, you know, and I was stubborn. Some might call it foolish or some might call it relentless or some put whatever word on it was, but it was that passion. And it was that, no, I'm working towards something and I believe in myself and I believe that I'll get there. Um, that maybe foolishly. And I really don't put kind of any, I'm 
to a fault probably value to money. I like lifestyle. I like I like to enjoy things, but money is just money to me. Um, you can always make more of it. There's always a way. So prefer the freedom over anything else. So working for somebody else would have felt I would have been trapped and I wouldn't have been happy versus working for myself and having no money, but working for something that gets me up every single morning and I don't stop until I drop and go to bed and I'm energized and I'm on purpose and I feel great um, and I'm eating spaghetti, but I don't care that I'm eating spaghetti. I happen to like spaghetti. So that works for me. Um, yeah, but not everybody. And one, that's not everybody's journey. There's a lot of much smarter people than I that do a lot better, faster. Um, and two, I understand that most people would say, I can't do that. And I get it. I wouldn't recommend it. If my kid said that I, I would, to me in the future, I'd be like, I want something more for you. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I think it was interesting just picking up on a couple of things you said there about um, feeling energized uh, and on purpose. And I think when you have that energy and you're living your purpose, eating spaghetti for 10 days, yeah, well, you could just do it, you know, sort of having one coffee a week. Well, yeah, you know, you can just do it. So there's a lot of things that are tied together, which is why, like I said, you know, I mean, Simon Sinek, he has the same name as me. You know, he's half British, love the guy. He, take some great stuff i just have a different twist on what he says but i say first seek your purpose and the answers it answers your why why am i willing to eat spaghetti 10 days in a row because my purpose is i want to become an entrepreneur i want to do these other things so fascinating to, to listen to you and so when we look about um your book uh, crisis ready then so you know you live in this crisis ready world and, and state and in 2020, you know, we've had the tragic um, killing here in Minnesota. The whole world is going crazy for protests. Then we've got um, COVID-19. Everyone must be looking around thinking, well, how did we get here? Um, is it very hard for you not to sort of say, well, I told you so? Um, you know, how, what, what do you feel when you're having these meetings when people perhaps, you know, they're not prepared as to, as to what they should be? So... This is where that conviction comes in. One, I'll never say I told you so. Two, um, I was frustrated. So I had kind of two things. One part is I was frustrated. So when COVID hit, I'm a, I'm a public speaker. That's a part of my what I do. Um, every single person, every single client that I'd ever spoken to now is calling me off the hook. And I remember my agent saying, this is great. And I was just so frustrated. I was like, no, it's so not because they shouldn't. My aim with my work is that my clients don't need me. My clients at the start of COVID were crisis ready. They were already, when the, when this country started panicking, they already had a plan in place and they were confident in it. That's what I want. Um, and that's why crisis ready, not crisis management, right? That's what matters to me. Um, with regards to when you, to your other point of your question, when I sit at a table and I realize that they're not crisis ready, which most organizations aren't, um, I remember one client that's still a brilliant client of mine today, and they're so crisis ready. They're so wonderful. But when they originally called me about five years ago, they called me as a keynote speaker and they said, we need you to come in and train our team. And over the span of 45 minutes, I realized that no, they don't. They need a crisis ready program. And yeah. the nature of their business puts millions of dollars, uh, millions of people, sorry, at risk every single year. So for me, that was right away like this is important. This is serious. You can hire somebody to come and give you a training, but it's going to do nothing. It's going to bring you no value. And, and it's not going to do right by the people that you serve. Those people are still going to be at risk. And I remember leaving that meeting and meeting a friend and saying, feeling really badly because I, I said, 
man, they didn't get the Melissa Agnes experience. Like I just, I laid it into them. I like got super strict and super serious. Like there's no way in, in chances that this client is going to hire me because I just drilled them and held them accountable. And they're my clients five years later still and doing amazing things. That's, that's kind of how I get when a client comes to me and, and has a big responsibility, again, to the people that they serve. Crisis in its worst form impacts livelihoods, it impacts lives, it impacts economy, and it impacts environment. That's our society and that's our world. And that's, that's important <laughs> to do right by. So, Yeah, and I think you, you said a comment. I don't know if I actually wrote it um, down here, but you, you sort of tied in um, kindness um, to, to your type of work. I think you said that actually... Leadership style. Yeah, you said if everyone would be crisis ready, would the world be a kinder place? And that is very um, interesting because um, I've never heard anyone really sort of put kindness to crisis management, but it is uh, maybe explain a bit about what that means to you. Yeah, so kinder, safer, more balanced world is what I said. Um, crisis readiness, to be crisis ready, you have to put people first. I explained that a couple of times. Um, kinder in the sense that Strong leaders are empathetic. They're emotionally intelligent. They understand why and how to validate people's emotions and then relate to them and then come in and guide them and lead them. That validation piece is where that kindness, if we're going to break it down very simply, that validation piece is where that kindness comes in. Helping people feel validated, um, putting people first, if we lived in a world where every leader did that, we have so much power and impact over people. Every single one of us does. We can either, we can, we, and we can choose. We can choose to ruin somebody's day or we can choose to do something small for somebody that may seem inconsequential, but that inspires and empowers them for the next 10 years of their lives. We all have the power to do that in every single interaction, every single day. Um, and so for me, I mean, that's kind of a core value. Kindness is a core value of mine. And so it, it bleeds into, of course, crisis readiness and then, of course, the impact of crisis readiness. So that's where that plays. Yeah. And I know when we we're talking, one of the other things that struck me about you is that, um, and even people have to go back to listen to part one to really bring this into context, is that you never seem to blame anyone you go through a period of, of self-reflection and do you think is that a personality trait which you think has helped you well being an entrepreneur when some of the adversity you faced in your life and perhaps when you're sort of leading um, organizations through crisis management because as humans it tends to be well that's not me right that was someone else that's someone else's is fault so that's a very strong quality to to always come from the starting point as in i'm not going to blame others before i look internally perhaps i need to blame blame myself Absolutely. Um, I don't see the point in blame. I don't see what it serves other than your own ego. Um, I want to learn. I'm, I say that I'm me on purpose. That is a very real, true statement. Um, so I challenge myself constantly to continue to be me on purpose, whatever purpose that, that next evolution is. Um, as an entrepreneur, when I was eating spaghetti, that was nobody else's fault but my own right? If I wasn't bringing in a client that was nobody else's fault, but my own, it goes back to never saying, why me? Why not me? When I do bring in clients, I don't say, why me? I say, why not me? Um, I just, I don't see the purpose in blame. 
I don't see it. It's either, and I don't see the purpose either in complaining. That's another thing is if you have something to complain about, complain about it if you're going to fix it, or at least you're going to put effort to fixing it, which hence the Crisis Ready Institute, hence, you know, my relationship with my sister. Um, I just don't think blame serves. No. And, and like I said, it's, it's, I, I find it fascinating for me. I, I wish I was, I wish I was like you. It's, that's sometimes where I default to, and that's just how we are as humans and stuff. It was just interesting to get your perspective that uh, there's not too many people that tend to process internally before they sort of look externally for, for others. But now as we start to wrap, wrap up sort of um, uh, part two, Melissa, what are those things um, that you would say you look back on in your life and say, I wish I'd done that differently, or I, I wish this has had a different outcome? What would you say to that question? Oh, that's good. Um, my honest answer, and and I don't know that this is a pleasing answer, is there's only been a number of things in my life because I'm so introspective and because I'm so, I think, conscious of, of me, of myself and who I am and my space in the world and my impact on others. And because I care about that profoundly. Um, anytime there's been one or two times in my life where I've felt shame and shame is different from guilt, but felt shame. And I've gone back and I've done right by whatever that is. So I'm not saying I don't make mistakes. I've made a ton of mistakes in my life. I don't know that I would go back and do them differently because I'm where I am and I'm who I am. And I'm really proud of both of those things. Um, the things that I wasn't proud of, I think that's always really important to me. I've gone back, even if it was years later, when I realized that, hey, why couldn't I do this now? And there was something, there was the one piece of shame, the one thing that I've done that I was so shameful for. And I, I never talked about it to anybody because that's how shamed I was. And I shared it with a close friend about a year ago. And the incident happened when I was 20. So that was like, you know, a long time. <laughs> I won't give you the math, but a long time. But, and I said, I, it just kills me the thing that this is the one thing, this is the one regret in my life that I'm going to die with. And he just turned and he said, why? And it was his why that gave me a different perspective that I had never seen. I guess I was too close. And it was, why can't I go? Yeah, absolutely. Why do I have to die with this? Why can't I go and do right by it? And whatever that means to me that I know that I've done right by it. And I did. And yeah, so I try. And again, I'm not saying I don't make mistakes. I make a ton of mistakes all the time. Um, I just don't view them as regrets that I would redo. Yeah. And I guess just a follow-up question, a slight nuance to that is that when you look at the things that you've done, and against you, there's obviously lots of peers out there in the industry. But um, why do you think that you've had some success? You know, you've done the TEDx talk, you know, you've been on um, news, you, you travel the country, you know. Um, I guess I'll ask you one why question going against my advice, but, but why you? Why, why have you been able to do all these things? Ooh, why me? That's a question I never asked myself. Um, I think that I, well, I'm, I'm extremely good at what I do, one. Two, I work like a crazy person. Um, so there's that. And I'm extremely blessed. So that's why me. 
Well, and that's a good answer because, like I said, I'm I'm not a um. I try not to ask for why questions after big in my big statement about purpose. So I just thought I'd throw it in there because it came out to interest to see what you said. But uh, you know, Melissa, over the two parts that we've spoken, it's been fascinating to to get to know you better, to hear some of your insights around crisis management, to um, help you share others through part of your story and, and and journey. And so I just want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you to you. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope that it, I hope there's nuggets that serve and hopefully inspire and empower. Um, and thanks for challenging me with some really good questions. Well, and Melissa, what is the best way for people to get hold of you um, if they want to read your book, if they're in an organization that says we don't have any crisis management? Um, you know, how can people find you? crisisreadyinstitute.com. That's the hub. That's the place to go. You'll find me through that. Um, but moreover, more importantly, you'll find resources that will serve you and your teams through that. So, Well, Melissa Agnes, thank you for joining me today and I um, look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks so much, Simon. Thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast. If you are enjoying the discussions between Simon and his guests, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, as well as share with your friends on social media. Once again, thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast.